yes, please cheer for her. Uh, Liz is wonderful, and we are so glad that she's here with us this morning. Liz and I met in seminary. I was thinking this morning, I have a memory of you, like, hanging out in our apartment with Corbin, their first baby, and you now, ha- now he's, yeah, um, and Liz was studying counseling while I was getting my MDiv, and um, we have a lot of great mutual friends and just have always appreciated her thoughtfulness and her care for people um, and have really been excited about the work that she's doing, particularly in the realm of marriage and helping couples connect with one another. Um, she's really focused on that a lot over the past few years of her life, and God's opened a lot of doors for her in that. Um, and so we're really excited to have her here this morning. So I am going to say a quick prayer for us, and then I'll turn it over to Liz. God, I thank you for bringing us together in this place this morning. Lord, I pray that this would be a time um, when we are able to be present, to listen, to reflect, um, and to connect well. Lord, I pray that this time would be a blessing for the marriages represented in this room and for our entire church family. Lord, I lift up Liz to you as she leads us this morning. Pray that you would be present with her, calm her heart. Um, Lord, I pray that her thoughts and words um, would be honoring to you and helpful to us, and pray that your spirit would be our ultimate teacher this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. Good morning. You guys, yeah, good morning. Thank you. <laughs> this, this feels very classic. Nobody wants to sit up here right in front of me. <laughs> but I'm so glad that you all have shown up this morning. I am honored to be here. I thought on the way here, you know, God, who am I that I get to teach all of these couples? Who am I that I have something to offer? And so I feel very humbled and privileged to get to be here. And I want to tell you a little bit about me because I'm asking you to emotionally show up today. My name's Liz, and I did meet Jenny Lynn at Covenant. I had the great privilege of getting to go to school and study theology and counseling. I have three kids, and I live in Tower Grove South. And I do have a um, budding um, teenager who will be a teenager this year. So I'm entering a whole new parenting realm, which will be interesting. Um, And this week, my church, I go to New City South. We lost um, a dear brother and friend to cancer. And so our whole church has been grieving. And the friend is Baye Malinge, which means he is from a tribe from Congo. And so their door has been open to everyone coming and wailing and sitting in grief with our friend Alice as she's been grieving. And so I've thought a lot about what does it mean to emotionally show up for someone And the Baye Malinge tribe does it in a very full-bodied way, which is not how I grew up. Um, But people were showing up and not saying anything and just sitting with her and holding her. And so I want to invite you today, as we think about what it means to emotionally show up for our partner, to think about that God has given us full bodies and that we need to use our full body to show up for our partner, which means our face, our hands, how we bring ourselves into the room, our tone, and our words, and what that looks like over the course of time. And today I'm going to talk about attachment. How many of you are familiar with that word? Okay, so I'm going to talk about what that is and what that means for who we are as people in our relationship to God and who we are as people in our relationship to our partner and what the emotional bond is that we have with our partner and what it means that we can be a secure, safe person for our partner over time to help grow their glory as a person. Um, So I want to start, if you can move to the next slide. I like to do very interactive talks. I don't want you just to sit here and listen to me talk. 
because as interesting as that can be, I don't think it's that helpful. I know that as people, we experience change when we actually get inside of ourselves and experience something different. My hope is that you experience yourself a little differently today and maybe make a move towards your partner that allows you to experience them a little differently. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna guide you through some exercises. And I know for some of us, this might feel like, oh, I'm so excited, this is gonna be great. And some of you are probably like, oh goodness, what did I sign up for, <laughs> right? Some of us are like, oh, somebody's gonna force me to talk in a certain way to my partner. It's gonna feel very staged and I'm not really into that. It's gonna feel awkward. Okay, and I get that. And I'm I, like, let's just bear with that. Um, however you are with this, try to be just open to being here as you are. I know that it's more awkward for some people. I work with couples in a therapy room and I guide them and I know that as I'm doing it, some of them are like, oh, why are you making me do this? Why are you making me do this? And the reality is that if you do move in these ways, even though I'm guiding you, even though I'm making you say certain things, your partner is getting a different experience of you and your brain is getting a different experience of showing up for your partner even if it's like calculated and scripted, right? So I'm gonna invite you to participate as much as you are able and want to. I am gonna turn on some music when I ask you to do something so that it's not just awkwardly silent in here, all right? But I wanna start with appreciation because appreciation is the low hanging fruit of all of our relationships. And it is one of the first things to go after you've been married for a year or two, right? We stop appreciating our partner, especially for the things that they do all the time. My partner takes out the trash and does the laundry, and I don't know how much I appreciate him for that, but sometimes it'll dawn on me and be like, I haven't thanked him for doing that in years. <laughs> wow, I should really let him know. Um, but today I wanna start with, since we're talking about conversations and communication, what is something that you appreciate about how your partner communicates with you? And if you're sitting with your partner, I want you to literally turn toward them. So I'm hoping I can tell who's with whom here. I want you to turn your body, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Hopefully you don't turn to someone else. Like, <laughs> like these guys are trying to mess with me, I think. <laughs> um, so turn your body physically towards your partner. And I want you to think about what does it mean for me to communicate to my partner appreciation through my face, through my body, and through what I say. And there's examples up here. You can choose one of my examples. You don't have to come up with your own. What is something your partner does that you appreciate about how they communicate with you? All right, so go ahead and I want you just to like go ahead and practice this and we're just gonna each person give one appreciation. I can still hear people talking. How many people got to both share? Did it, yeah, okay. I heard some awkward laughing. I saw some people giving their partner a little eyebrow raise. <laughs> How was that? What did that feel like for you in your body? And I'm not asking you to tell me right now, but. I want you to notice for yourself, how did it feel to hear your partner say that? Maybe there was some awkwardness and uncomfortableness with it, but hopefully it felt good to hear your partner say something specifically that you do in terms of how you communicate. Do you want, Dan, if you wanna to go to the next slide. All right, and so now my next question for you is how are you showing up here today? And what I've noticed with us as adults is that a lot of us live with a disconnected relationship to our body and to our experiences. We don't know how to tune into ourselves. A lot of us don't have emotional language. We didn't learn it as kids. We don't know what to say if someone says, how are you, except good, fine, because we don't really know. And I found that this acronym, it's called the SIFT acronym. Um, it's been really helpful if you have a hard time knowing what's going on internally for yourself. 
And what it stands for is listening to physical sensations in your body, because we know that our body sends us messages and information all the time about how we're doing and how we're experiencing things. And then it's paying attention to any images in your mind, any feelings you can name, and any thoughts. So as you are here today, I don't know if you came here because your partner asked you to, or if you're the one that signed up, or if both of you are eager, how are you showing up today? And I wanna give you a few seconds to check in with yourself. So resist the temptation to talk to your partner right away. You probably won't have an answer to all four of those. If you do, you're A plus, like awesome. <laughs> I don't often have an answer to all of those, but if you can find one of those things that you can name, you're, you're getting in touch with yourself a little. Um, and so I'm gonna ask you for a few seconds just to tune in what's going on for you this morning. You know, I shared that I'm coming in with the grief of a friend, which is part of how I'm showing up here today. There's probably other things from your story and your past week that you're carrying, and maybe some feelings about where you are in your relationship of how you're here. And then the other thing I want you to hit on is what is one hope you have for attending this marriage conversations class? You all sent amazing questions to me. I will not be able to answer all your questions. I wish I could. <laughs> um, they were incredible to read, and they informed me as I was praying and preparing for this time. Um, but it's good as we show up to something to figure out what am I here for and what am I hoping to get out of it? And so I want to give you a few seconds here. And after you check in with yourself, feel free to turn to your partner and share. Did everybody get a chance to say something? Yeah? Let's see people. I can see people finishing up. And I did forget to say, if your partner is not here, I would encourage you to write as much as possible for the answers because this would be such a gift to give to your partner after the reflections that you've had and what you've answered to these to the exercises that we go through. Um, but go ahead and switch to the next slide, Dan. All right, so now I want to talk a bit about attachment and about God. When I went to um, school at Covenant, I learned a lot about theology and I learned a lot about psychotherapy and best practices. And some, the one approach to therapy that stood out to me the most that really landed in terms of my faith and theology was attachment. And attachment is the emotional bond that people have between each other. It is also the bond that we have with God. If we think about who God is for us, he offers us perfect, secure attachment, which means that he is a secure base for us to come to again and again. And there is never fear of judgment or condemnation. He holds us, he hides us in his, the shadow of his wings, he protects us. He accepts us as we are, and that is secure attachment. It's knowing that that person is there for you no matter what. And things, other things that we know about ourselves that I wanted to highlight is that we all long to be deeply understood, known, and seen. And sometimes we forget that in our relationship with our partner. I forget that with my partner when we're in the heat of conflict or things are tense that at the deepest core of him, he really no longs to be deeply understood, known, and seen. Sometimes I see other things that make me think otherwise. And we know that we're all cre created for connection with God and with other people, and the Bible tells us that, and research, brain images tell us that. It's incredible if you wanna go down that rabbit hole, what they now see in the brains of people that are in love when that person goes through something hard, their brains light up in incredible ways. And so we know that God created our brains in ways to connect with each other. Oh, the lucky people that get to sit in the front. <laughs> Good morning. 
<laughs> you are so fortunate. <laughs> and so I, as we talk about attachment with our partner, what I want you to hear is that God offers us perfect, secure attachment that we can come to again and again, this emotional bond with God. You can go ahead and switch. And we know, you know, and I'm giving you a bit of a gospel story here, an outline for us to frame our relationship in our marriage. We know that because of sin and the fall, while we all long to be deeply understood, known, and seen, we all are afraid of being deeply known in all of our mess. And if we're honest with ourselves, we live in this ambivalent state, even with our partner, where we long to be deeply known and we are afraid of being deeply known. And there's this tension with us that we're not always aware of. And we see from the beginning of time in Genesis that what do we do when the fall happens? Adam and Eve, they hide and they blame because of shame and fear. And they're ultimately, they're protecting themselves because they're, they know what's happened, right? God comes and they're like, Ugh, you know, he made me do it. Uh, she made me do it, right? And that's what we do in our relationship. We're going to unpack what that looks like. But because of the sin and, and the fall, we have this secure relationship that God offers us. And we come to it with doubt and fear and questions. And some of those questions are, if God is good, then why does blank happen? If God is good, then why does death happen? If God is good, then why do people get cancer? And can I trust God's heart is good for me when there is so much pain, so much war, so much suffering? You can go ahead and switch. And then we see God's response. And there's some things on here that I'm sure you've seen in a lot of ways as far as God's response. There might be a few new ones on there, or ones that you're like, huh, that's not typically up there. Um, this is a therapist adding her part of God's response up here. Um, but we see what I really see in God's response to Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, God knows what's happened, right? He knows everything. There's no way he doesn't know that they just, you know, ate from the, the tree that he told them not to. Yet he comes to them, and instead of saying, how dare you, or I know what you did, he comes and he has a posture of curiosity and compassion, and he says, where are you? And maybe he means, where is your heart? Where is your soul, Adam and Eve? Where have you gone? Maybe he's just saying that because he knows that he needs to invite them toward himself. Um, but I think that his response is very compassionate and curious. And then his response is grief and redemption and resurrection. And we know that as Christians for our personal relationship. You can go ahead and switch. And then we bring that to our marriage. And God gives us an attachment to our partner. It's not a perfect attachment, like the one that God offers us, right? But it is an attachment. And the way that people came up with this idea of attachment was first looking at parents and kids, and that is your primary attachment figure. And it actually still is, even though all of us, you know, none of you guys were not kids recently. Um, what they've seen is that your relationship with your parents really determines kind of how you show up the rest of your life. So we're gonna look at that. And then your relationship with your partner is your second attachment experience, um, which I think is very hopeful and sobering. I've heard marriage described as heaven and hell. <laughs> you know, you guys are sitting with your partners. Mine's not here. I'll say that I've experienced it that way. I won't make you raise your hand to say that. <laughs> um, but we know that in our marriage relationship, our best and our worst parts show up. In working with couples for so many years, I've noticed that people are attracted to someone that brings out their glory and best self, and they're attracted to someone that lets them hide in their shame, that they repeat things that they didn't want to repeat. 
right? Not intentionally, not consciously, right? And I think that that's also because of sin, and it's because of Satan getting in there and messing with us. But I think we need to know that in our relationship with our partner, we are going to show up in ways that we don't like, and we're going to see these negative styles of relating to our partner. And there is this opportunity to grow both of us in glory and to offer our partner secure attachment. And I think that is the most hopeful part of marriage. Well, not the most hopeful, one of the most hopeful, I won't say the most, uh, is that we can grow a partner in secure attachment. You can, you're, you're totally on, Dan, that's the next slide. <laughs> um, and the reality is that because of the sin, because of sin and the fall, we don't show up to our partner as a secure attachment all the time. Sometimes we do, and other times we show up anxious, avoidant, and fearful or disorganized. And don't get caught up in my terminology if you're not familiar with attachment and different styles of relating. Um, the big thing to start to dig into here and get curious for yourself is how do I show up for my partner and how do I show up for my partner when I'm triggered, right? And there's two big, it's kind of like a continuum or a spectrum, two big things that we do, right? So we can move away from our partner and feel overwhelmed and avoid and back up and create space when there's tension or conflict, or we have this anxiety inside of us and we move toward our partner and we're like, oh, I need to fix this. We need to get, we need to do something now, now, now. And that can turn into a lot of things as well, right? And then in our, in our best place, we are somewhat, we are secure base and we say, oh, we really need to talk about this. You know, things are really hard right now, right? So we're gonna get curious about how we show up for our partner. And I also want to just, you know, attachment, the big question with attachment is that, will you be there for me? You'll hear that if you've read anything about attachment. And it's this idea that behind every interaction that you have with your partner, your partner is wondering, and again, this isn't conscious, we're not walking around being like, are they gonna be there for me? <laughs> right, but in the back of our, the core of our soul, will my partner be there for me? Is my partner gonna be there for me when I have a hard day? Is my partner gonna be there for me when I am a total emotional mess? Is my partner gonna be there for me when I need to be celebrated, right? When I need extra help around the house. And then therapists will break it down into these three main camps. You know, and again, don't get caught up in memorizing this. I'm gonna sort of guide us through some interactions and remind you of this. But these are the ways we wanna show up for our partner. Is that we want to be someone that's there for our partner. We wanna be someone who's reachable, accessible, right? That throughout the day, you know, and not that we are responding right away, but that the way that we interact gives our partner the assurance that when they reach out, I will respond when I can, right? I will do what I said I'm gonna do most of the time. Not perfect, most of the time, the majority of the time. And then can we grieve with our partner? Can we be there when they're an emotional mess? Can we celebrate with them? Can we fight for their heart? When your partner is in a really bad place, pushing you away or coming toward you, clinging and nagging, can you do something to fight for their heart? And we're gonna talk about what that looks like. And then can we give our partner the experience of telling them, communicating that they matter to us and that we value them? You can go ahead and switch. And so that means that we have to get really curious. I hope that you're like, oh, she keeps saying that word. Um, we have to get really curious about who we are as people and what has informed how we're showing up for our partner right now. And for some of us, this is gonna be easier than others. Some of us have really disconnected ourselves from our past experiences. We don't want to talk about the past. We see no value in digging it up. The past is past, right? It's too painful, right? And so I'm going to invite you in whatever way you can engage with this today. 
we need to get curious about our attachment blueprint. A lot of people talk about marriage in the sense that two people come into marriage and they bring their baggage with them, right? And that's true. It sounds more negative, right? And so I like the term blueprint, our attachment blueprint. It's all the ways that we've learned through all of our experiences to be in relationship with ourselves and other people and with our partner. It's how we've learned to navigate, and these are the big things, emotions, needs, boundaries, and what that means for trust and dependence. And so we're going to look at how have you internalized your experiences and what happens when you are distressed or in conflict with your partner. You can go ahead and switch. Right? And so that means that we have to explore for ourselves how our parents showed up for us imperfectly or our caregivers, whoever that was for you as a child. And a lot of people get very nervous here and have some anxiety because they're like, oh, you just want me to blame my parents for how I am today. And I don't, I have no stock in that. This is not about pointing your finger at your parents and demonizing them. It's about making sense of and talking about the truth of what you've experienced. Right? And we know that every parent is imperfect, right? And so even as you read this, you know, there's a quote up here. The way we talk to our children becomes their inner voice. And I know that as I read that to you, if you notice for yourself, you might be thinking about yourself as a parent. You might be thinking about your own childhood. Um, there's a lot of truth to that, right? Because we are relational people, right? But what parents are responsible for, whether they know it or not, or caregivers, are all of these emotional needs that you see on this screen. So parents are responsible for providing for you your basic needs, and they're responsible for emotionally showing up and a lot of parents don't know that this is their responsibility. And a lot of parents are incapable of doing it because of life circumstances. And we recognize that. There's a lot of things that contribute to being able to show up for someone. But these are things for yourself, as you think about your attachment blueprint, where are the places that you didn't get your needs met? And so there's these big six things up here. Um, being aware of your emotional needs responding to those emotional needs in a warm, caring, consistent manner, emotionally engaging with you, helping you regulate emotions, being strong enough to handle your big emotions, and repairing when they do harm. Right? And that, that one at the bottom, I think, is just so hopeful because that is such an indicator of showing up for someone. We're not going to do it perfectly. When you can move toward repair, that is one of the best things you can do. And so I want to invite you to get really curious about your story. And what I mean by story is your lived experience so far. Right? So this is in, I know some of this might get really small, some of this print. It is all in here, um, if you're following along. It is in this packet in front of you. And it has all of these examples. And so this is how we show up today in our relationships in different ways based on what we've internalized about our experiences in the past. All right, so I'm not going to read out all of these because I'm actually going to ask you to sit with these and to see where you show up. Um, but there's uh, the um, examples up here are all about trust, emotions, needs, conflict, and boundaries. You can go ahead and switch. And like I said, this isn't about demonizing, pointing fingers, getting really angry, although it may stir up anger in you. And that is good and valid, right, and part of a process. It's about grieving and lamenting. And I think that as a church, we talk about grief and lament, and sometimes we don't do a very good job unless there's a death, right, or a huge traumatic event, 
like a school shooting that stops us in our tracks. And yet God wants us to grieve and lament life and what's happened to us and where we are and how we're showing up now, right? And so there's things that we do in relationship to our partner to block communication and connection, and there's valid reasons why we do them. Can we allow space and time to grieve and lament and make sense of how we got there? Right? And we know that God is a God who grieves, and we also know that what do we do? You can see this first point on here, because I think what we typically do with hard things is that we hide from them and we blame, right? Sometimes we just blame our parents and we're like, ugh, they hadn't done this, I wouldn't be so messed up, right? And that doesn't get us anywhere, right? God calls us to a holy grief and lament to bring our unmet longings, the things that we didn't get to him, right? Because he is that perfect, secure attachment. And, and I think this is where we step in for our partner, he empowers us to do it for our partner, right? To know our partner's story so much that we also do that for them, right? And so I want to invite you right now to do some journaling and writing. If you want to talk to your partner as you're doing it and that is helpful for you, then go ahead with that. If it's more helpful to just sit and write, you know, I trust and that you will just discern where you are in that and you can share later. Um, and this, this feels like sort of a getting your feet wet if you've never explored this for yourself, right? Be very kind to yourself. You know, don't feel that you need to answer all those questions. Go with what feels like you can do right now, right? But the questions are what stands out to you in the list of what a parent is responsible for? Which one do you look, look at and think, oh, I'm not sure that I know what that means or I don't think I got that as a kid. And then what do you grieve about your partner's story that you know? Right, we, a huge way of showing up for a partner is knowing and grieving their story and having empathy and understanding toward them. And then what do you grieve about your story and what questions do you have for your partner about their story? Right, so I'm just gonna give us a few minutes here. It's not gonna be enough time, just so everyone knows, because <laughs> I think this would take a lot of time, but I want to get that, this part of it started or continue it. Some of you, I think, have done some of this work. Does anyone have any questions? No? Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and turn some music on so it's not awkward sitting here. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and call everybody back to my voice. I can hear lots of people talking. I'm cur curious what that was like. I won't make you share, but notice for yourself what that was like. Was it hard? Was it connecting? Is there a lot more work to be done there? You can go ahead and switch. Let's see. Um, you know, what's going on for all of us in our relationship with our partner all the time in the way we communicate is that it's flowing out of the attachment bond that we have with our partner. Even as you are sitting there with your partner, right, the way that you're showing up for your partner is out of the place of how you're experiencing your relationship and your bond with your partner. Right? And I wanna encourage you if, if that was helpful to start to dig into that, to keep going in that way and continue that conversation. It's a really important conversation to have in marriage is how do we learn to be the way we are with each other? And can we understand each other and keep understanding each other and grieve each other's stories? Right? It's a huge part of knowing how we're doing what we're doing and how we can do something different. Right? And then the next thing that we want to watch for is how do we show up in our relationship with our partner when there's distress, distress disconnection, and conflict? That's when our attachment style gets really triggered. Right? That's when we show up 
either avoidant or anxious with our partner. We either create space or move toward our partner. And that's based on what you've internalized from all of your experiences before this. What did you do in life to meet your needs in certain ways? And how did you do that? Go ahead and switch. And what's happening here, I'm sure a lot of you have heard about our survival brain. Some people call it the cockroach brain. Right? It's a really, really old part of our brain. Um, it's the part of our brain that jumps in when there's distress, when there's a threat to our life. And what therapists and researchers have over time is that this doesn't just kick in when we're out in the field and there's a tiger attacking us, that this brain kicks in in our most intimate relationships when there's an emotional threat or we sense disconnection or conflict. So some of us are aware of this, some of us are not aware of this. A lot of times when it's happening, we do, we're not aware of it. Our brain does, right? And I think that this is, you know, this is a part of us that we need to pay attention to, get to know really well, and I'm so thankful for this part of us. If you are someone that comes from a chaotic home background, if you, when I pulled up that list and you're like, oh gosh, my parents didn't do any of that for me, or they did very little, your survival brain got you through all of that. And so God bless our survival brain, because what it did was that it took over and it helped you survive. Now as an adult, you have the work of helping to rewire it so that you know when you're in certain situations, whether you're safe or not. Because over time, if our survival brain is on a lot, it starts to be on more and more and more, right? It starts to see things that, are th th things that aren't threats as threats. And there's two things that our nervous system does. It goes into hyperarousal or hypoarousal, right? And this is what you will experience in your body when this part of your brain kicks in. So hyperarousal is associated with flight and fight, and then there's a word up there that some of you maybe have heard, maybe not, fawn. And people started to put that into this camp because that is the experience where there was distress and a threat to you emotionally, and what did you do to survive? You learned to just do whatever was needed. And some of us are, you know, still doing that in the Christian world. We're just, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, yeah we're being very nice and accommodating and pleasing because that's how we've learned to survive. Right? And so that might resonate with you. That is also part of your survival brain, and they call it fawning. And then the hypoarousal is the freeze, right? And that's when we're feeling, you know, just so exhausted and depressed and fatigued, right? Or that's when you see your partner and their face is just blank, and you're like, oh gosh, are they bored? Did they stop paying attention? What happened? I was telling my husband last night, he was like, what are you going to talk about? And I was telling him, like, the different things that I was going to bring up. And I brought up, I started talking about this, and he goes, so just so I know. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he's like, you're the hyper arousal, and I'm the hypo. <laughs> and I was like, yep. <laughs> um, and if you and your partner are like that, that's the most common interaction that you'll find in a relationship, a marriage one, is that one partner, and it is often the female, goes into a state of hyper arousal, and they sense disconnection or distress, and they're like, <gasps> something's wrong and everything starts turning in here and there's anxiety and they move toward their partner and in a healthy world you move toward your partner and you say hey I'm feeling disconnected or I'm feeling hurt can we talk about this 
And when it's our survival brain and it kicks in, we move to our partner and we might nag, we might get really loud, we might make a lot of demands of them. Hey, you didn't take out the trash, you didn't make the bed like I asked you to, right? And if we're the hypo, which is often the male, our, our partner comes toward us and they start nagging and they start getting loud and we feel overwhelmed and attacked and we just shut down. And we might go totally blank. My, my husband used to go totally blank. He looked like a deer in headlights and I would freak out. And I was like, he's bored. <laughs> he doesn't care. And what do you think I did? I got louder. Because <laughs> my survival brain said, oh no, <laughs> you need to pull him back in here. Make him see how this is important. And you can think of what he did, right? He just shut down even more and more and he had nothing to say. And it wasn't until we could put words to, oh, and he finally said to me, I feel so overwhelmed when you get to that place. And I could hear him saying, I feel overwhelmed by your actions and words, not I'm overwhelmed by you, right? That, I was, that we were able to start to be like, oh, you're not bored and disinterested? You know, and he started to be like, oh, you're not just being mean and terrible, right? <laughs> uh, and so... A lot of this, we need to understand with our partner, again, we all long to be deeply understood, right? Even when your partner looks like they are just flat panning it, or I know a lot of men that when they feel overwhelmed, they smirk, they laugh, or they sigh. And it's so triggering to their partner. I can see some people smiling. <laughs> right? And so what's important here is to think for yourself, what happens for me? What happens in my body that I can notice for myself that's telling me, oh, my survival brain is trying to kick in? And is there a reason that my survival brain should be kicking in right now? Now you can go ahead and switch, Dan. All right, and so I want, us, I want to give you a few seconds here. Maybe you already know a little bit about yourself, and so you want to share this with your partner. Um, talk about what goes on for the two of you. Which one do you relate more to, hyperarousal or hypoarousal? when you sense distress or disconnection with your partner, and what specifically, and it doesn't have to be on that list because my lists are never exhaustive, what do you notice in your physical body that you can tell your partner? Here's what I, I notice happens to me. Right? I start to feel really overwhelmed, and I start to think about something else, and I just wait until the storm passes. Right? Or I start to think about all the terrible things, and I tell myself this story internally that you're not there for me or that you're going to reject me, and then I get really frantic and I think about all the things that you don't do, right? So what can you offer your partner to let them know a little more about what happens to you and what can you do for, like, to help yourself connect a little? So just give us a minute or two here. You can share with your partner if you know, or you can sit and reflect. All right, let's go to the next slide here. All right, so some of you may be actively doing this with yourself because you know that your survival brain when it kicks in, you've recognized it. And some of you, this might be new. Um, the incredible way that God made our brains and our bodies is that we can soothe our survival brain. We can bless it and be so thankful for what it does for us. And, and those of us that have it kick in in big ways, we can start to soothe it when we recognize it. And there's very, very practical ways we can do this. Again, we are embodied people. We need to take advantage of the fact that we have physical bodies and the way we move our bodies and our minds impacts our nervous system and we can calm our nervous system, right? And so if you have, if you found that you often go into this hyper arousal state, 
There are some very practical things up here that you can do when you start to notice that. As simple as slowing your breathing. And you don't have to be um, a yoga master to be able to slow your breathing. It doesn't even have to be for seven seconds or whatever you've heard. I think this can be very intimidating. You just have to turn your attention to your breathing and try to slow it down. And if you can do that, one minute, two minutes of this is gonna make an impact on your nervous system. It's not gonna take away all the feelings, but it's gonna start to soften it. Intense exercise can be really good for someone who has that hyper-aroused brain. Muscle relaxation, where you just go through and think through different parts of your body and try to relax them. If you're not really in touch with your physical body, clenching it and then releasing it can help you get in touch to relax your muscles. Spending time in nature, challenging your thoughts can be a big one for someone who has that hyper-aroused brain. Saying to yourself, I'm not in danger. I'm going to be okay. I can calm myself down. Engaging your senses, uh, which sounds so simple. When we engage our senses in our actual physical reality right here, it can calm our nervous system. And you can do that in so many different ways. Favorite sense, food, music, touching things. You know, even as I just touch this chair, I know that I'm in this room. And my body says, oh, I'm right here, right? Helps to calm me a little, ground me. And then a container visualization, which I think is very helpful, especially if you have racing thoughts or rumination in that hyper-aroused state, or you find that you have that anxious attachment, you start to go off on all these stories you're telling yourself. You have the ability over time to contain your thoughts, feelings, anything going through your body. And you can do that. If you want more information about that, I would be happy to pass along an actual written script. Um, but it is sitting with yourself and imagining yourself putting everything that's in your internal world into a container and telling yourself that you can pull it back out whenever you need it. Again, it sounds very simple, and yet it's highly effective. If you go into that hypo-arousal, that freeze state, right, deep breathing, and I, you can see the difference here, slow breathing, deep breathing. You're trying to pull yourself back online a little because you're starting to shut down, right? And so you're going to try to take some deep breaths, Bring yourself back into the room. Movement and stretching, right? So getting yourself in your body and getting a little more movement in there to wake yourself up a little, get yourself back here. And again, senses are huge. Um, this is a very simple one, naming three blue things in the room. Sounds really simple. <laughs> very effective, brings you back into the room, right? Okay, that, that, and that. Um, staring at your hands is another way. It lets you know, oh, Oh, that's me. Kind of connects you again. Uh, positive self-talk, telling yourself, you know, okay, my partner's not attacking me. My partner's feeling upset. They're not out to get me. I can do this. And changing your temperature. And so what I mean by that is like getting a, a warm mug of tea, getting up and getting a cold glass of water. Throw yourself in a cold shower if you're really feeling that overwhelmed state of shutdown. All right, you can go ahead and switch, Dan. All right, so I'm going to give you a chance. This is a part that might feel kind of awkward or intimidating. Um, if we practice these things when our brain is at a relative state of calm, right, which I'm hoping people are kind of calm right now, but maybe you're still feeling activated from the last journal, like the last conversation. Um, but when we can do it when we're relatively calm, our brains remember it when we're feeling hyper or hypo aroused. Right? And so again, choose to participate as much as you want right now or to talk to your partner about 
what you think is helpful or effective for you. Um, but I would encourage you to try any of these and see what it feels like in your body to do it. Stretch, name three blue things in the room. Slower, deep breathing. Close your eyes and imagine a container and put all of those thoughts, those feelings, those images in it. Clench and release your fists. You know, some of these we can do wherever we are. You know, you might notice I'm clenching and releasing my fists. You might not. All right, so I'm just going to give us a, a couple seconds here. If you also need to get up and use the restroom, feel free. I didn't say that at the beginning. I know people have been moving. Feel free to do what you want. But I'd encourage you to practice one of these. All right, did anybody try something that they liked that they want to share? Anybody want to share? People are smiling at me. Anybody want to, you want to share one? Yes, thank you. Yeah, practicing breathing has been very helpful for me as well. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing. Anyone else want to share one that they, they tried or that they appreciate doing at other times? I appreciate the um, distinction between hyperarousal and hypoarousal and how there's different strategies for each. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the difference between, so I'm often hypoaroused. Mm -hmm. um, and so, movement and stretching. Yeah. Uh, No, it actually is. I, I should have I should have clarified that. It actually is too. If that helps for you, it helps. Mm -hmm. It does help for both. Mm -hmm. And ex intense exercise, walking, running, is great for any time your body is overwhelmed, burdened, anything that's like emotionally you're carrying in yourself. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna move on to the next. Um, so this is important. The soothing your own brain is what you are responsible for. And your partner can help you with that, which we're going to talk about as well. But you want to be paying attention to yourself and figuring out things that you can do, strategies to use, especially when you sense that disconnection and distress with your partner. And now we're going to dig into what does your partner see when you show up self-protecting, when you feel that distress, that disconnection, when your brain goes into survival mode, what does your partner see? What we do is that we self-protect. We do the things that Adam and Eve did in the garden. We hide and we blame because of fear and shame, right? And then this, again, this is not exhaustive, um, but I, did, I listed out a lot of these so that we can start to find ourselves. How do we show up protected with our partner? Your partner might be a better, might know how you show up protected. <laughs> We're often very good at that, right? <laughs> so I actually took that out of the, that's not what you're going to focus on. You're going to focus on your own. And you can ask your partner for feedback if you want. <laughs> um, but it's always much better if we focus on ourselves and our personal work. It is much nice to do this, right? I doing this. Um, not saying that we shouldn't let our partner know what we see and hear. But if we need to be doing our own work. And so how do you show up protecting yourself in your relationship with your partner? 
And what I mean is when you feel that distress and disconnection and you, you just go into that place of, I'm not sure if they're there for me. Right? And so there's a lot of things on this screen, and I've, I've called out a few of them already. Um, but uh, one, that it, one that I think comes up a lot, problem solving instead of validating. I think that blocks a lot of communication in marriages. Um, when one person wants to just tell the partner, here's how I'm feeling, here's what's going on. And the other partner feels overwhelmed by the fact that their partner's upset. So they move into a problem solving mode and they say, well, here's what you need to do. I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to them and here's what you should blah, 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 blah. And the other partner's like, I don't think you heard me. And slowly over time, they stop bringing that part of them to their partner, right? Because they think, oh, well, they, they don't actually want to hear that. They just are going to tell me what to do, okay? Um, so that's, that is a place that we protect. And often what I've heard from people again and again, we do that. We move into problem solving and fix it mode because we're overwhelmed because our partner is upset and we want to make them feel better. And we, it's so hard to sit with them in that upsetness that we offer them this instead. Right? So it's good for both partners to know what's happening there. Uh, other things on there, nagging, criticizing, and demanding, maybe out of a place of anxiety. I think one that comes up a lot too is um, one partner will bring something to another partner and say, hey, I, I heard you say this and I felt hurt. And the other partner feels so overwhelmed and triggered by that that they go into, I'm terrible, I'm just the worst. And your conversation's over, right? And again, these are all out of self-protection, right? And so I'm highlighting these because what we want to understand for ourselves and our partner is that it's out of self-protection. It's because something about their story, they've learned that this is how they need to show up. It's not because they don't want to have that conversation, although they partly don't, right? <laughs> but it's because this is how they've learned to relate to you. And so becoming more aware of these, these what, I, what I'm calling self-protective blocks, is going to help us to own our own story and how we show up and to move in ways with our partner that we can create more safety for them. And I'm going to give you some practical ways that we can do that as well. You can go ahead and switch to the next slide. And what we need to really, has anyone seen this um, percentage before? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've seen this? Okay. There's research on how we communicate. And I'm going to not remember the man's name right now who did it. But you'll, you'll resonate with what this says, right? Is that when we are communicating, 7% of what we are communicating is the words, right? 38% is the tone of your voice, and 55 is your body language, okay? And I, I know a lot of couples will say, it's not how you, it's not what you said. Who knows into that? It's how you said it, right? <laughs> right? And, and so the reason that I'm highlighting this right now is because when we think about self-protective blocks, we want to consider all of what's happening. Some of what is blocking communication is that our partner is sitting there and they're looking off into the distance, right? Or they're in a conversation with you and their face looks like they're angry and they're saying they're not. Or like I said, they're, they're smirking and they're not even aware that they're smirking, but you're seeing they're smirking and you're thinking, I think you're laughing at me. You're not taking me seriously, which I think is a big block in communication. And so we want to keep in mind that this is the reality of how we interact with each other and emotionally show up, right? And again, and for ourselves as well, right? We need to be aware of when I'm talking to someone, my face, my body, my tone, they're hearing more of that. You can go ahead and switch. All right, and so this is, um, this is the meaty stuff of today. 
So be kind to because I guide you in sharing in the next part. If you feel like you need to and you want help from your partner and that's helpful, then you can. I'm not going to discourage that. <laughs> um, but I would encourage as much as you can to just write right now. And this is thinking about yourself. So when, let's say, what do you do when you feel that your partner isn't there for you? And you can look at that list, which is in the handout, and you might find yourself on there. What do you find that you do that you can take responsibility for and own up to of like, oh, I block communication this way, right? And maybe you're not aware that you think my partner's not there for me, right? A lot of us are not aware that that is what it's coming from. That's okay. Um, and then what do you think when you feel that your partner isn't there for you? What false narratives do you tell yourself? Some of us have very clear, loud, false narratives that come from when we are assuming our partner's not there for us, when we're misinterpreting what they're doing. In the back of our mind, we're thinking, I knew that he couldn't, I knew that he wouldn't be there for me in this conversation. I knew that he wasn't going to show up again. I can't count on him. I can't trust anyone. He's going to reject me again. She's going to reject, I should use more she's. She's going to reject me again. <laughs> Getting really into my inner monologue here. <laughs> um, you know, so what are those false narratives that come up for us that we hear, right? Or that are just lingering in the back of us, right? I couldn't trust anyone as a child. Nobody was there for me. I don't really trust that she's going to be there for me. And then what does it feel like for you and your body? So we already hit on a little bit of that, the hyper and hypo aroused. What else? How could you describe what's happening in you? I know when I used to see my husband Chris's face go blank, you know, I felt like I was going to explode. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. But I just felt like, oh my goodness, I'm going to explode out of myself. I'm not sure what's going to happen right now. It felt like this internal, like, panic freak out. Right? So what is it for you? And then can you relate any early experiences to what's happening? Right? And I will tell you, you know, you might not be able to do that today. Therapists are great for doing that work. And I will say there is always a valid reason for why you're doing what you're doing and why you feel what you feel. I have yet to see that fail. And so if you allow your brain, our brains are incredible at making connections. If you allow your brain to sink back and think, huh, where does this come from for me? Curiosity and compassion, our brains love it. <laughs> they will make connections for you. Right? Your partner is also a great resource if you're at that place in your relationship that you can ask them later. Right? Huh, I wonder why I do this. Right? So I hope what you're hearing in me is, can we, can we explore these with curiosity and not being critical toward ourselves or judgmental? Right? It's really easy to look at these and be like, oh gosh, I'm so embarrassed, I do this. I start to like nag and yell and I get really loud. Why do I keep doing this? I'm so, such a terrible wife. I'm such a bad Christian woman, right? And can we instead say, huh, I wonder what makes me do this? What is going on for me that's making me do this to my partner, moving in this self-protective way? Uh, so I'm going to invite you to journal right now, and then we will share with our partner. Does anyone have any questions on this? You can also flag, if anyone wants to flag me down during the journaling, I'm happy to come over to your table as well. All right. I'm going to let you just reflect on this wherever you want to go with it. I'm going to move to the next slide. This is our, we're going to do a, just a grounding exercise right now. Um, journaling for five, ten minutes at a time 
is a way that you can reparent yourself and help to contain your own experiences, right? And so if you're not used to reflecting and giving yourself time and space, I always tell people set a timer for five minutes, 10 minutes, and then after you're done, bring yourself back into the room. And so go ahead right now as I'm talking and do one of these, um, you know, yawn and stretch, clench your fists and breathe into your fingers. Yeah, let's get us all back in the room. <laughs> right, but this is a way that you can shift yourself and give yourself the containment to dig into hard things. All right, so we're, our next piece, you can go ahead and switch, Dan, is we're going to explore what does it mean to create more safety for each other. As you identify what your blocks are and take responsibility for them, that, okay, this is what's happening for me, what can we do for ourselves and our partner to make the relationship more safe than the blocks that we go into? And so that means we are aware of what we're doing and what happens to us when we're triggered. You know, we're learning more about our partner, we're paying attention, and then we're gonna help each other out in some way. This is gonna be unique to your relationship and what you need. And so if this is, again, this is small. I think we can kind of see it. It's in, your, it's in your packet as well. It has all of these. They're not exhaustive, but I tried to give a good amount of examples of what I've seen has helped couples to start to create more safety and communication, right? And so if you are someone that moves into an anxious place, and again, you don't have to fit neatly into one of these categories. If you are, then you need help learning to communicate your anxiety in healthy ways not getting caught into your false narrative, not going into these assumptions and misinterpreting what your partner's doing. And you need to know that you can trust yourself. And so there's some things that you can do for yourself and for your, your partner can do for you to help you in those ways. They're listed here. Pausing to check your heart. Where's this coming from? So slowing down that anxious internal world, trying to listen to yourself and to create space to say, where's this coming from? What's making this really hard? Preparing your words before you jump in. Some of us that come from this anxious place, this hyper-aroused place, will jump into conversation. I have to talk about this right now. We need to talk about this. And then it comes out really bad, right? <laughs> so counting to 10, taking some breathing, preparing, what am, I, what am I really wanting to say here? Using I statements, not you are doing this, you are doing this, right? We're all guilty of this. I'm, I'm guilty of this. These are reminders for all of us. And these are things that we need to figure out what works for me, what's going to help me softening our tone. Often when we're hyper aroused or we're in an anxious place, we are gonna come off sounding critical, harsh, loud, and we don't even realize it. I've worked with so many couples where the partner's like, you sound really angry. And the other partner's like, I'm not angry at all. And you're like, oh gosh. <laughs> and they don't even realize. Like, and some of us come from homes where like, things were just really heightened, right? There are home, everybody just talked at this degree. And so I just, I, I don't think I'm being angry or coming out harsh. If your partner says you are, digest it, right? And maybe it's too loud for them, coming from their own past. Um, name your false narratives out loud as much as you can. A lot of us are walking around with these ideas of our partner that are wrong, outdated, right? Or focused on one particular wound from our relationship or from our childhood. Can you tell your partner right now when I hear you say that, I'm thinking this. The story I'm telling myself right now is this. Help me get out of this. I need to let you know that what I'm feeling right now, what I'm thinking about us, is this. Um, offer reassurance statements. 
Have your partner tell you, hey, I really, when this happens, I need you to tell me that you're with me and that you're not against me. When I see you starting to shut down, I need to know that you're not bored or disinterested, that you're just overwhelmed. Check for understanding when there's unclear or hurtful interactions. I think this is one that we all need to hear, right? A lot of us are just interacting with our partner. Something's happening and we're assuming we understand what they said. We're misinterpreting them. We're walking away and we're just taking with what we've got, right? If you hear something your partner says or see something that they do that is hurtful or you're not sure what they mean, hey, right now you're smirking and I'm talking about something that's really important to me. Are you laughing at me? Can I, can I have your attention right now? Or can you, can, I, like, can you tell me that you're interested in what I'm saying? Um, name what you feel out loud, which is, yeah, a lot of these. I feel like you're shutting down right now. What do you need? If you know that your partner goes into hypo arousal and they shut down, and you start to notice that they look like they're like tuned out, hey, I feel like you're shutting down right now. What do you need? Do you need to take a break? Um, couch your statements. If you are someone that goes into that hyper-aroused, can get nagging, critical, you might need to be couching your statements a lot more. Hey, I love you, and I need you to hear that what you just said hurt me. Right? Your partner might need more reassurance in that way when you come to them with something hurtful. And then if you go into more avoidant, then what you need help with from your partner is showing up emotionally in those conversations. Right? And you need to know that you can depend on your partner. Often the people that default to anxious, I mean, to, sorry, to avoidant attachment styles, it's because they are those people that are so independent, right? Often very successful, do everything themselves, have learned to rely on themselves, and are not used to comfortable relying on other people. And so often if this is you, you might need some more conversations around timing and consent with conversations. You feel like your partner just drops these huge conversations on you and you're like, I wasn't expecting this, this came out of nowhere. And their partner's like, I've been thinking about this for days, right? <laughs> and you feel caught off guard, <laughs> right? And so if you know your partner is more of an avoidant, can you ask them, when is a good time for us to talk about this? And make sure that it's a good time for both of you. Hey, I really need to talk about X. When's a good time for us to talk about it? Is now a good time? Make sure there's time and space for both of you. Use text and email when you're overwhelmed. <clears throat> Those of you that shut down and you can't literally get the words, which is, that is like something that happens. We can't, I, I don't even, I can't even say anything. Use text and email, use technology to your advantage, right? If you need a, if you need a break and you walk away, text your partner, hey, I love you, I'm just feeling overwhelmed. Let's talk about this in 20 minutes, 30 minutes, tonight. Um, use code words. These can be highly effective. If you are in a relationship where things get very escalated and it feels like things get out of control, find a code word, watermelon, right? <laughs> uh, use a timeout signal. I have some couples that do this. I have some couples that will use just a, like put one person put their hand on their shoulder of their partner and that's the signal of like, okay, we need to slow down, right? And then, you know, for people that are more avoidant, a timeout can be very, very, very helpful. And people that go into more of a, if you get really escalated, you need to take a time out. It takes 20 minutes at least for your body to physiologically calm down. And so it needs to be at least 20 minutes of a break. If you are anxious about this, I've worked with a lot of people where they're like, but they're just gonna take a break and we're never gonna come back to it. Right? And so you need to go for what is called a full loop break, right? A closed loop. You're gonna say, we're taking a break 
and we're going to come back to it in 30 minutes tonight, however long. And here's the thing. You can't walk away and just ruminate how awful your partner is or how mean they are, how hurt, you know, you have to go away and do something to calm yourself, both of you. And then what I always encourage people to think about is think about what is really hurtful about this for you and what you need from your partner when you come back. And then that's what you come back to the table with. Safe physical touch is really helpful. It's helpful for both. I found that it's really helpful for the person that's shutting down and feeling overwhelmed. If that other per person can move toward them, put their hand on their shoulder, something that is safe and comfortable, it can let the person know, I'm with you, I see you, you're shutting down, you're starting to move away, but I'm with you, I love you. Can you, can you stay here with me? Um, and again, say what you're thinking out loud. A lot of people that shut down just need to say something to their partner, and that will help so much. Right? It can be, and it can be, you know, I'm overwhelmed right now. I'm, I'm with you. This is really hard. Some sort of verbal cue. Um, speak against your partner's false narrative. If, you're, if you know what the story is that your partner says, can you say something specifically against it? And that might mean saying, I'm not against you. I'm for you. I'm not your dad. I'm your husband. I'm not your mom. I'm your wife. I'm with you in this. And that can get very specific depending on what your experiences are and what that narrative is you're telling yourself. Um, and then, like I said, sometimes someone that goes into more avoidant needs to just say more. And something that is very, the anxious person really wants is for them to empathize and validate. Right? Just say something. There's actually a song called Say Something. <laughs> and, you know, so I, I, sometimes I just say to that partner who shuts down, like, you just need to say anything. Right? <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I always give that makes sense. I think that's the easiest validation, right? And so if you struggle with validation and empathy, put that in the back of your head. That makes sense. That's really hard, right? That'll go a long way. Now you can go ahead and switch. Okay, so now we're going to do another writing, and then we're going to take a time of sharing what you've just written last time and this time. Um, so go with this where you want to go. You're going to have a time to share with your partner in a minute. Um, but I would love for you to explore what could you do to help yourself stay more calm and connected when you start to self-protect or feel overwhelmed. And so you can look at that list. What could help you? And then what could you ask your partner to move towards you in a way to create safety, to make you feel more emotionally calm and connected? Are there any questions on this part for writing? Then we're going to share both of these in the next exercise. All right, I can hear some talking, so I'm going to move us into the next exercise because it is the talking one. <laughs> All right, and so now I'm going to ask you to do something that is going to maybe feel forced or staged because we're going to do it in two parts. And so you can just pick who wants to be partner A is going to share first. And I'm going to give you a few minutes for each of these. But what I want you to do, partner A is going to share what they were writing about, reflecting on. Right, so anything that you can share in these categories, what did you identify as your self-protective blocks? How do you want to better support yourself when you're feeling self-protective? And how you want your partner to support you? Try to say it in, the, in these I statements, I think I need to, I think I need you to. Right, so you're inviting your partner, not demanding or putting it on them. I think I need you to reassure me when things get tense. And I think this would be helpful for me to hear. Okay, can, as much as you can offer your partner. Partner B, as you listen, you're going to try to show up emotionally your whole body, give a soft affect, and you're going to let them know that you're tracking with them, nodding, 
I see, that makes sense. And then you're gonna reflect back what you hear to see if you got it right. Right? And this is, a, this is a great communication tool. If you find that you're saying stuff to your partner a lot and they're hearing something totally different, you should practice this tool in communicating. So you're going to say everything. Your partner's then going to say, what I hear you saying. Right? So it's going to feel a little staged. And then you say yes, no, or kind of. Right? Um, and give them the chance to ask any questions. Right? So Jeff's partner A is going to share first. And then I will let you know to switch. Anybody have any questions? It might feel a little awkward. That's okay. <laughs> and if you want to write down what your partner says, right, that's good too. So you remember. All right, so go ahead, partner A. Partner A, did you get to share? Yeah? Okay, you're going to switch the screen. All right, so if, if you haven't swapped, go ahead and now partner B, you're swapping. You're sharing, and partner A, you're listening and reflecting. Partner B, did you get to share? Yeah. Yes, kind of. You, you guys want to finish up what you're saying? And then I'm just going to ask you whatever you feel comfortable doing here. We have the incredible gift of being able to co-regulate with our partner. And what I mean is that physical touch, I'm sure many of you have heard this, it releases oxytocin. And sometimes in relationships, we can get caught up in just having sex and not offering non-sexual physical touch, especially if we've been married for a long time or we're not comfortable or great at it. And so whatever you feel comfortable doing right now, how can you physically connect with your partner to show them you're with them right now? Maybe you just want to hold hands. Maybe you want to touch a knee, give a kiss, a hug. <laughs> this is a huge way that we can communicate to our partner that we're with them. And when we don't have the words, giving physical touch is incredible. <laughs> All right, you can go ahead and switch, Dan. <laughs> can hear some awkward laughing. <laughs> Dan, will you switch to the next slide? Okay, now we're gonna do a more lighthearted exercise here um, because something that we want to keep doing with our partner is playing and dreaming and having fun with them. And I gave a list to Jenny Lynn that I think a lot of you got that was a lot of open-ended questions. And open-ended questions are a great way to keep our relationship growing and especially the friendship part of our relationship. To show our partner that I am still curious about you. I still don't know everything about you. And so I'm going to give us a minute here just to do this. This is just a fun exercise. It's called Yes And. If any, is anybody an actor in here, actress? This is, like a, this is part of, I think, theater does this. I've done this with a lot of families for therapy. Um, but I'm just going to ask you for one minute, you're just going to describe the perfect day. Whatever your partner says, you have to say yes and. So you don't get to say, no, we wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, and so have as much fun with this as you want. The first person starts with we would, whatever you're going to do when you wake up. All right, so one person says, here's what we do, and then the next person says, yes, and then we would do this all the way through to the evening. So this is just a lighthearted exercise to just have fun with. I'll just give you a minute to, yeah, play with this, see what happens. <laughs> all right, did anybody's partner say something surprising or really fun? Anybody surprised by something their partner said? No? No, everybody knew what their partner was going to say? <laughs> That's great. All right, let's go to the next slide. All right, and so now I'm, I'm just going to, we're not going to do all of these because there's not enough time today. 
I did put examples of what these look like in your packet, and we might get to be able to practice or pick one at the end. We are going to do the stress-reducing conversation after this. Um, but these are different rituals of communication that help to build safety and security in your relationship. And we know now, I hope you're hearing, we continually have ways that we show up protected and ways that we show up vulnerable with our partner, right? We're in this ambivalent state with our partner of trying to create connection and intimacy and moving against the ways that we want to hide and point blame. And so we need, to con we need to think about how are we continually building safety and security. If we're at a point in our relationship where we feel that we don't even want to try to have conversations, we're just kind of both tired and things are just kind of blah, then we want to explore how can we create more safety and security? What conversations and communication needs to happen? And this, again, is not exhaustive, but these are some things that do help. Um, appreciation, like I said, protects and nurtures your relationship. Appreciation is huge. I've actually heard that it doesn't matter the, um, how things are broken up in terms of household duties in a family as long as both people feel appreciated for what they do, right? And so appreciation is just a huge factor. Reassurances, letting your partner know verbally, not assuming that they know how you feel, that you're committed again and again. Morning and evening greetings are really big, and they can be as short as a couple minutes. Thinking through how do you greet each other in the morning? What helps you feel connected when you wake up and start your day? What helps you feel connected at the end of the day? Stress-reducing conversation, which we're going to practice in a minute. Daily and weekly check-ins. Just having that time where you say to your partner, hey, how's your week been? What's been on your mind? And I've got some questions in here if you need help building that ritual for yourselves. I think those are also great to include kids in if you have kids. It's a way to build emotional conversations in your family and there's different ways that we can do that. What's something hard and good from your day? What's a pink octopus that you want to talk about? That's anything. Kids love that one. <laughs> um, planning and logistics. Some of us need to make this more of a ritual, right? So that our partner feels that we're with them in the things that are happening in the week, in the day. Having those hurts and wounds conversations, talking about the things that are weighing on us, and learning how to do it and practicing it. And then having conversations about sex, which can feel awkward overwhelming, intimidating, anxiety-inducing, and research shows that good sex is not about frequency. It's about the quality of your emotional relationship and if you're talking about it, right? And so I, I gave you a few questions in there. I encourage couples, if you're not used to doing that, write out your answers and just share them with each other. That's a start. And then having those hard conversations. There are conversations in most couples that they're avoiding having because they're those trigger conversations. This might be um, sobering or discouraging to hear. You may have heard this, but 69% of the conflicts that you have in your relationship are the same conflicts you're going to keep having for your whole relationship. They're called perpetual conflicts. And they're due to lifestyle and personality differences. And so knowing that it's 69%, you need to keep having them and figure out how to work together and support each other when they come up. They're never going to go away, right? There's some things about us, like someone may be a really clean person, the other one might struggle with clean. They might be more of just a disheveled, disorganized person. That might be how they always are going to be. And so they need to figure out how do we come together and support each other and love each other in this. You can go ahead and switch. All right, so this is, um, this is a, an exercise I'm going to invite you to do that is <laughs> may make you feel uncomfortable. I'm going to turn music on. I found that we actually don't look each other in the eye very often after being married for a certain amount of time. And so I'm going to invite you to do this, again, as much as you feel comfortable. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you to do it for one minute. I'll turn on the music. If you need something... If you need something to think about, I can tell people are already feeling uncomfortable. If you need something to think about in your mind while you're giving your partner eye contact, think about how come out of the billions of people in the world you chose your partner, right? How come? What, what about them? <laughs> and if you, if you are someone where eye contact is hard for you, right, I get that, that's okay, right? Let your partner know that, like this is really hard. Maybe you make eye contact and then you look away. Okay, and then after a minute, I'm going to then switch the screen, and there's going to be some questions that I want to invite you to ask each other around communication. All right? But go ahead and just, yeah, see what happens when you give your partner eye contact. All right, that's one minute of gazing into your partner's eyes. <laughs> just, just notice what it was like for you. Did it feel really long? Did it feel short? If you want to tell your partner, if you thought about that question, if you want to tell them that, that would be a great gift to them. And then if you want to go ahead and switch, Dan, these questions are in your packet. You don't have to try to squint to see that. Now I want to give you a few minutes to ask each other any of these questions or all of these. these a lot of these were also in the packet, so you may have asked some of these already. Um, but I find that there's things that we want our partner to say or ask us about that we actually don't verbalize. And so this is your opportunity. I'm making you ask these questions. <laughs> um, ask whichever ones you want on here and just see what your partner says. And again, ask if you need to clarify, ask that. Did anyone learn something new about their partner? No? Anyone, anyone learn something new? Nobody learned anything new? No? <laughs> you guys already know all these answers? I, no. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right, we're going to switch to the, this is our, our last bit, and we're just going to do this um, briefly, and then we're going to end, because I don't want to keep you over. And so um, this is a stress-reducing conversation. We already have these in our relationship. I've found that some of us don't do, like, we, what we do is we jump into that problem-solving, that fix-it mode really quick for our partner. And so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to give two minutes to each partner. And I want the partner that doesn't talk, the partner that talks less to go first. If you're both talkers, then you can just pick. <laughs> the partner that doesn't talk, the partner that talks the least, I think a lot of you know what that means. Um, you're going to go first, and you're just going to share something as you, and I'm going to frame it this way. As you think about your week ahead, what is something that's weighing on your mind and your heart? that you feel stressed or worried about, you're just going to tell your partners in as much detail, and your partner's only job is to emotionally show up for you and nod and validate and empathize. You're not allowed to offer any problem solving or advice. Okay? All right, so go ahead, and whoever that is, go ahead and you can share, and then I'll switch you in a minute. All right, that was two minutes of one person talking about what's on their mind. Go ahead and switch. Now the other person shares. And you're just listening and validating. All right, that's two minutes for that second partner. There might be more conversation to be had. That brings us to the end of our time. It is 11 o'clock. Um, I want to encourage you to turn towards your partner and thank them for something that you appreciated that they did today. Maybe it was just being here. Um, but tell them, tell them something you appreciate that they did or said. Offer some sort of physical touch if that's comfortable for you. And then if you like homework, if you want something to do on your drive home, you can choose your own adventure. I also really liked those books as a kid. Um, but you can, you can pick one of these that you want to plan or practice. 
right? Rituals keep our relationships. It, calls, it creates this foundation for hard and good seasons, right? When we have these ways that we know we're showing up for each other consistently, no matter what's happening. And so I gave um, examples and questions in your packet that you can use as much as you want. There's also a list of um, communication skills, which I realized I could have just come up here and talked about all the different skills that you need. And there's a list in the back um, that will give you, you know, just some things to reinforce. The biggest thing in showing up for your partner is showing up for your partner, right? That's the biggest thing that's going to help your communication. How can I show my partner that I'm there for them? And how can I continue to fight for their heart so that we can have more connection, so that they can feel safe and known and seen? There's also a resource or a book list in there if you want to go any further with any of these topics. Um, but I just want to thank all of you for showing up today, for doing work for yourself and your relationship, and thank you for inviting me to be here. I'll hang here if anybody has any questions and want to come up after. I'll stay for a few minutes. Thank you.